The Bible says in Psalm 48, in these 14 verses, as great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, the mount is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled, they passed by together. They saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them in pain as the, a woman in child pains, in birth pains. As when you break the ships of Tarshish with the east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts is the city of our God. God will establish it forever we have thought, O oh God, on your loving kindness. In the midst of your temple, according to your name, O oh God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell, tell it to the generations following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our God even to death. God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us so much to praise you for. Thank you, God, that we could never praise you enough for your mercies endure. And they renew each other daily. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence in this place. Now use these broken words of your servant to, to pierce each and every heart, God, that we would apply these words to our lives. Help us, God, and we'll give you praise for what's accomplished. Touch those, God, who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Help them to see their need. Call upon them. Remind them that, that you are longing for them. We'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we look in this particular passage, in this particular psalm, it's, it's a song given to the sons of Korah. So we, we don't know. We can't say who wrote this. We don't know who wrote it. We don't even know the occasion for which it was written. But what we do know is that it helps us. Because when we look in this passage, we can imagine as a faithful, as the faithful Jewish nation makes their way to Jerusalem, being filled with excitement and anticipation as they're preparing themselves to worship their God at their annual feast or their annual festivals. As they would move closer to this great city, they began singing psalms. And this is one of the psalms that, that they would sing as they would, in the distance, could see Jerusalem. Confessing in this, in this psalm and in the psalms that they would sing that they were going to worship Jerusalem. But they were going to worship the one who resided there. They were going to worship the one in the holy of holies within the temple. That's what the Jewish people were doing in anticipation. They weren't going to worship a place. They were going to worship a person. 
And when we find here in this passage, we begin to see that this holy city, it points us to praise the Lord. When, we, when you just think about it, as you heard in, in the devotion this morning, that when Daniel point, pointed his face toward Jerusalem, it wasn't that he was praising Jerusalem or even praying to Jerusalem. He was praying to the God of, of the Jews. He was praying to the God who resided, his presence resided in the Holy of Holies there in Jerusalem. Here, what we find is that it is a, a holy place. And this holy place, just as we think about the holy place, it should move us or it should point us to praise the Lord. What makes Jerusalem a holy place? That has to be the question that we ask. And it's a holy place because of God's presence. His presence resides there as we see right there in, in verse 1. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be appraised for in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. It's the, the writer is saying that he is there. That he is there. So God's presence is in the mountain made on this mountain, it made it a special place. It made it a place of holiness. So the city was holy because of God, that God was there. It, it, under the covenant or under the old covenant, God's presence was the mercy seat of, of the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem's tabernacle. But after the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant and the, the mercy seat was placed in the most holy place of the temple. And this place became known as the Holy of Holies. And but we, what we need to understand is it wasn't the place, but it was God who was holy. And because God resided there, it, that's what made it holy. God's holiness, it, it wouldn't just stay right there. It would flow out. It would flow out into, the, into Israel, into, the, into Jerusalem, all throughout the, the, the land there because the people of God who, who were truly God's people, who were obedient to God, and they, as they moved out, people realized that, that these people had been with God and, and God was with them. And I want you to know that whenever we, we come together to worship, it should be something that we long to do because we come to worship a holy God. And when we leave worship of this holy God, what we know for sure, what we know, no, without a doubt is that, that when we go out away from one another at the worshiping God, people who come in contact with us, they see God's holiness in us. They, they, they understand that we've been with God and God loves us. Amen. We, when we think of this holy city that we've been promised as our internal home, Folks, we should be moved to praise God. Revelation 21, 2 through 3, it says that then I, John, saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Folks, God is worthy to be praised. And we, and we who receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we get to dwell in this holy place for all eternity but it's not just because it's a holy place because God resides there but think of think of we 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 should rejoice because of the beauty of this place 
The beauty of the city, it's, the Bible says here that it stirs the earth to rejoice. In, in, in verse 2, when we look there, he said, the beauty and elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the sides of, of the north, the city of the great king. Listen, listen to how it's stated in, in, in verse 2 in the NLT. In the NLT, it says, it is high and magnificent. The, old, the whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. It's telling us there that this is a magnificent place and, and because of its magnificence we should rejoice and we should be, we should be moved to praise. This gives us the picture of, of being able to see a city afar off. A city with all its beauty in the distant plains. A city that sits 25 feet high and, and 2,500 feet high in elevation. A city that its beauty is there because God's presence is there. What makes it beautiful is the fact that God resides there we're told of the beauty of our eternal city this new Jerusalem it's told us in Revelation 21 and 18 the construction of its walls was as jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass in verse 19 it says the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones in verse 21 it says that the 12 gates were 12 pearls each individual gate was one pearl and the city the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass oh folks God is worthy to be praised we who receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can dwell in the beauty of God's presence for all eternity but also listen folks we get to dwell in a place that's defended by God forever because of God's love for Jerusalem and his covenant with his Jewish people he personally defends them against the attacks of the enemy he is Israel's refuge he is the stronghold and fortress when kings united against Jerusalem and saw that she was defended by God, they retreated in terror. You see that in verses 4 and 5. For behold, the kings assembled and they passed by together. They saw it and they were moved by. And so they, they saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled and they hastened away. In other words, what it's saying here is that, is that they understood that the enemy was in panic. The enemy knew that when they come against this this place that, that God was there with them and he was defending them. The Bible says that they were filled with panic so that they trembled like the anguish of a woman in, in, a, in birthing a child. Like ships that are shattered by the, the powerful winds at sea. The enemies of Jerusalem were, were destroyed by God himself. As a matter of fact, during Je Jehoshaphat's reign as king in Judah, the Moabites and the Ammonites and others, they planned an attack against Judah and Jerusalem. And when they did, the king, the king, he, he called the people of Israel to begin to pray, to begin to fast to begin to seek God's face and as they did the Lord came upon the scene as they, they began they began to praise God and when they began to praise God for his mercy and his grace things begin to happen I want you to know that when we praise God his presence moves us and it changes our lives it's second chronicles 20 and 22 the Bible says now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount seer who, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. Why? Why were they defeated? Because they began to trust God in the midst of their circumstances. Folks, we who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior 
we can know that he will fight our battles. Romans 12 and 19 tells us, Behold, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And if God is for us, who can stand against us? No one can come against us. But we must know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because just as God lifted his hand of protection off of Israel and executed judgment and placed them in a, in a foreign land for 70 years, if you reject him, there'll be a day when his protection will be off of you also. Amen. And if you look... But for those of us who know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we can be reminded of Isaiah's vision. Of those two cherubims that were guarding the throne of God. You remember that in Isaiah 3, 6, 1 through 3? The Bible says that in the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And the two, two, with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And he cried to one another, saying, and one cried to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole, the whole earth is full of his glory. I want to tell you, as long as we're serving him, we can know that we're protected by him. I'll tell you, there's coming a day, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, that his protection will not be upon you. When Jesus splits the eastern sky and he comes to this world and he takes us out, his protection will not be upon those who are left behind. I want you to know right now, while the blood is running warm in your body, you have an opportunity to come under the wings of God, to be able to be protected no matter what might come your way. God is holy. He's worthy to be praised. The people of Israel didn't worship the city of Jerusalem. Instead, any time they looked toward the city or journeyed toward the city or prayed facing the city, they, reminded, they were reminded of so much to praise God for. When we think of assembling together in the fellowship with other believers, we should immediately begin thinking and praising and worshiping God. When we come together on one accord, we know we can experience his presence in a miraculous way. So we praise and we worship him. And when we read about or we think about this glorious city where we get to spend eternity, folks, we should be moved to praise and worship him. He's worthy. He's worthy for he's God. But not only... Do we notice in this passage? So we begin to focus on verses 9 through 14. That the city not only points us, the holy city not only points us to praising God, but it points us to meditate upon the Lord. Meditating on God's unfailing love moves us to worship him. And we see that there in these verses in 10 and 11. God's name Elohim. It testifies of his power. Why? Because his name deserves to be praised in all the earth. And knowing that his name testifies of power, we know that God is, he faithfully exercises this power on behalf of his people. When Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, God heard their cry and delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. 
when they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, it was God that led them to a land flowing of milk and honey. After Israel was in captivity for 70 years, it was God that brought them back and helped them to restore their land and restore their, their city. And it's because he promised to protect all of Jerusalem. This psalm encourages the Jews. It encourages the Jews to inspect the city. There in verse 12, walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers and mark well her bulwarks or her fortresses. It's telling us to inspect the city. It desires the people to walk around meditating on God, observing just how God is protecting them. Walking around this magnificent city, they would notice the many towers, that, the fortified walls and the, the great palaces and know that they were protected by God. Walking around and meditating on all God's protected us from will move us to worship and it will move us to praise him. I don't know how much meditating you do, but I remember when I was in divinity school, I had to take a class. It's called, it was titled Spiritual Formations. One of the richest classes I've ever taken. And in this class, one of the requirements was that we had to go away for a weekend. A Friday, Friday night and all day Saturday. And we got to leave late Saturday evening to come home. It was a spiritual retreat. No cell phones, no televisions, no radios, no electronics. It was designed for us to get away and to focus on God. There were several activities we'd done as groups, and then we had times to ourselves. But during this retreat, I remember one assignment best. It was an assignment where we had to go and just walk and talk with God, to go and just meditate with God about about the surroundings and all the the beauty of his nature and everything that, that we have to praise and worship him for. And I remember when I was there walking around, I noticed certain things that was taking place. As as I was going through the trails, there were things that were in the way. There were all kind of obstacles. But when when I got back to the building, what I could praise God and worship Him for was those roots that were growing up out of the ground on the trails didn't trip me up. It was God that caused me to step over it because my mind wasn't on what was the my environment. My mind was not on my surroundings. My mind was totally focused on God with all the hazards, all the obstacles, the tree branches, the, the, the unlevel ground. There was never a time when I stumbled or fell. There was never a time when I had to worry about whether or not I was going to make it back to the cabin. I knew because I had my mind focused on God, he had me in his hands. And no matter what obstacles come my way, I could trust him in the midst of everything. Listen, folks, I don't know what's coming your way. I don't know what it is that you think about that, that, is tri- that, that, that seems to try to trip you up. We can, but we can know that if we trust God, forever he is faithful and forever he'll be there with us. Meditating on his unfailing love causes us to praise and worship him. As I think about my family that he's given to me, as I meditate on, on how great I've got it with my family, everybody can't live with me and every child will like me for their daddy, but I've got a family who loves me and who supports me and who, who lifts me up and it's all because of God. I didn't know what I was doing. He allowed our paths to cross. I didn't understand what was going on, but God had a plan. I'm 
so glad is and when I meditate on my family, I just praise it. When I start thinking about this church, when I get to come here week after week, I get to just study his word. I get to spend time with people and I get to come and worship with you. It, it causes me to want to praise and worship him. I tell you, well, there's times when I just think about all that he's done, even in the midst of death and sickness in my life, how his grace and his mercy has always been there. I can just praise and worship him. There's never been a time when I've went hungry. There's never been a time I've had to beg for bread. God's blessing has always been upon his people. Folks, I don't know what is it. If you were to meditate on God's unfailing love, if you were to meditate on his faithfulness, what is it that would come to your mind? Would it be how faithful he's been in the midst of sickness or injury? Would it be how faithful he's been in the death of a loved one? Would it be how faithful he's been in financial crisis? Would it be how faithful he's been in accidents? Would it be how faithful he's been in disastrous natural disasters? Would it be how faithful he's been during wartime? Would it be how faithful he's been in unemployment? I want to tell you, if you begin meditating on him and thinking about how he's been faithful to you, you'll worship and praise him. Folks, and he tells us that as we do this, we share it. We don't keep it to ourselves. We share it. We share it to the next generation. Folks, if we, (laughs) as we meditate on his faithfulness, Our grandchildren, our children, our great-grandchildren, our nieces and nephews should hear about it. How he's been faithful to us. Warren Wiersbe stated, the greatest danger a nation faces is not invading, not an invading enemy on the outside, but the eroding enemy on the inside. A people gradually turning away from the faith of their fathers. Each generation must pass along to the next generation who the Lord is. Do your children, do your grandchildren, do your great-grandchildren, do your nieces and nephews know who your Lord is? If they don't, you need to find them. You need to call them. You need to text them. You need to email them. You need to give them their face and let them know that God is your God. His son, Jesus Christ, is your Lord. Lord and your Savior. They need to hear it from you. Not from the preacher at your funeral, but they need to hear it from you. So that they know that when our time to go to the new Jerusalem comes, <laughs> that they won't have tears of sorrow, but they'll have tears of joy. Their sorrow may be that they're out of your presence, but their joy is that they know where you're at and they can go to. Yes. Meditating on God's faithfulness gives us hope. It gives us encouragement in the midst of whatever we're facing. We've got so much to praise him for. After the destruction of Jerusalem and their Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah's hope was in God's faithfulness. Listen as what, to what he says in Lamentations 3, 21 and 24. It says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. He said, because of what I'm thinking about, I have hope. You know what he was thinking about? Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We may be in trouble, but we're not defeated. We're not consumed by the enemy. He said, because his compassions fail not. He says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and I hope in him. 
Folks, if you don't have your hope in Jesus, you have no hope at all. It's wishful thinking because our hope is entirely in him. If you want assurance, it comes through Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent his very son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that he died for our sins and he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.